0: You're listening to the Fuck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yes, the Senate begins another impeachment trial today. This one of a former president, Donald Trump. He's got the distinction of being the first president impeached twice, as well as the first to go through this process after already having left office. In order to protect our democracy, Democrats are making a mockery of it. I insist this is necessary because Trump's a unique, uniquely evil and dangerous figure in American history. You've certainly heard that a million times. But there's a much simpler explanation for a repeat performance of this congressional absurdity. Trump broke the libs and. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put them back together again. Trump broke the lips. And they're emotionally and psychologically damaged. They were, they were wounded by the Trump presidency. They were traumatized by Trump winning that 2016 election. And so this for them is something that they, they, they insist we go through. They insist it happens. They need it to happen in the hopes that the Trump boogeyman will forever be vanquished from the political scene. This is crazy. Let's remember that from the start, everything about Donald J. Trump as president was an affront to Democrats. They abhorred his policies and vision. They detested his MAGA slogan. They hated his roughness with journalists on Twitter, which was amazing most of the time. And his constant goading of our fraudulent ruling class. His refusal to bend the knee at the altar of political correctness was sacrilege. They even hated his hair and constantly bleated that orange man bad. This is all we have to know to understand that opposition to Trump was never rooted in fairness or decency. Anything and everything was justified to take him down. Democrats, the deep state, the corporate media colluded to create a Russiagate hoax That was meant to end Trump's presidency and cause the ruination of his brand and family. And the left all along could care less that it was all based on a big lie. In fact, they celebrated that aspect of it. It showed how powerful and how devious they were. Unhinged anti-Trumpism, as we've seen at its core, was always a selfish tantrum of the elites. Trump, you see, is one of them. And they felt that as one of their own, he was breaking an unspeak, unspoken code here. He was holding up the mirror to their incompetence and vanity in front of the whole country. And for the powerful, for, for the elites, for the ruling class, including, of course, the Romneyite wing of the GOP, Trump's 2016 win was an unpardonable sin. The Democrats now want to conduct a political exorcism. As a result, and here's my my prediction, really my promise to you. This is going to be a clown show. What exactly do they hope to achieve with this impeachment trial? No serious person believes the Senate will reach the two thirds vote threshold for conviction. Any Republican in a red state voting to convict Trump would be committing political suicide. That's because the Trump base would obviously. Take it as an insult and it isn't an insult meant to humiliate 75 million Trump voters meant to treat us all like we stormed that Capitol, like we are all right wing QAnon violent domestic insurrectionists. Now, we're just Americans who think that Donald Trump would be better if he were still in office than Joe Biden. It's pretty straightforward, really. But the point of all of this is clear. The reason the Democrats are doing all of this is vindictiveness. They think that a Democrat, a Democrat trial in the Senate will allow them to achieve what they've wanted all along, which is the repudiation of all things Trump, the elimination of him from the future, and the eradication of him from the record. It will be as if Trump never existed in our political life. That's what this is supposed to achieve. And it will allow the news media, of course, to run endless stories on a loop about Trump's incitement to insurrection. This is ultimately about that narrative creation and the destruction of the Trump brand. I still believe that the unintended consequences of this are going to come back and bite the Democrats' hard. That what they're doing is completing here four years of an obvious cycle of persecution with the wild-eyed fury and vengeance of the Trump deranged leading the whole thing, acting like he was Hitler, acting like he was a fascist. He was a Russian puppet. He was going to lead us to nuclear war with North Korea. That's right. The guy who didn't start a new war was the one that we were told was just minutes away from a massive conflict with Iran or exchanging nukes with North Korea or invading Sweden because he wanted to steal all their ergonomic chairs whatever that's what they said about trump for four years and now they won't even let the guy leave office as he has and go into private life as is his right without continued harassment and this isn't just meant to harass him it's meant to harass you this is meant to show you that what you did if you voted for this man will neither be forgotten nor forgiven by your elites, by your betters. Vote for Biden, peasant. Don't you see how brilliant he is? Don't you see what a genius we have at the helm of government? I doing the things and the stuff and uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that guy. He's now the commander in chief of the United States military. Don't you sleep better at night knowing that? And exactly what we had expected all along is what's happening. He's a pass through. He's a puppet for the radical left. They just used him because he was the facade they needed to convince enough people in a very tough year. 2020 was a hell of a bad year, and it just was. That's the truth. We all know it. And in a really bad year, the promise of a guy who will bring us back to normalcy just was it was just enough with all the changes. And yes, there were changes. And all the stacking of the deck. And yes, there was stacking of the deck with the election and all the shenanigans and machinations behind the scenes added to Joe Biden as a Manchurian candidate for the left guy has been around so long. How dangerous could he really be? Right. That was the whole sales pitch. They were able to get him into the Oval Office. And now we see what an absurdity the whole thing is. And so they're claiming that Trump incited an insurrection. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get full answers on exactly uh, what the extent and what the severity of the violence from this insurrection was before this impeachment trial commenced? Somehow it just broke recently that the one officer who did die, uh, Officer Sicknick at Capitol Hill, according to CNN reporting, was in no way violently uh, beaten to death. That, that didn't happen. He did not have bruises, contusions, nothing. Uh, he, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't an attack the way that we were led to believe that, that uh, took Officer Sicknick's life. What did? And why isn't that an, an urgent matter of national concern for the media? Shouldn't we know that right away? I back the blue. I want to know what really happened, but we can't know what really happened. Insurrection. Have the trial. right? Verdict first, trial later. That's what they're hoping for here. But the verdict isn't even going to be what they want and they know it. So what are they really going to do? They're going to give a lot of speeches about how awful Trump was. They're going to give plenty of sound bites to CNN and MSNBC. The journalist class will go through this catharsis where they think they've finally defeated Trumpism. They're finally getting their revenge on him for the four years of humiliation that they felt they suffered at his hands. It's really all about them. It's not about the American people, I can assure you. And it's certainly not about what's best for justice, the Constitution, or the country. Nobody even remembers what the first farce impeachment of Trump was about at this point. And this one, the second impeachment, 2.0 version, will soon fade out of the public's mind as well. But what will linger is the recognition that former President Donald J. Trump drove much of the Democrat Party insane. And that psychosis is already defining much of the Biden agenda. So strap in, my friends. It is going to be a bumpy ride.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
2: Once again, they they picked the dumbest of all impeachment articles. I mean, you got Kamala Harris with Amy Coney Barrett. Remember that mother of seven. And she's telling the whole world that Judge Barrett's coming after your health care and coming after your reproductive rights and coming after your voting rights. I mean, if you're dumb enough to believe that, that's going to incite you, too. So what the president's lawyers are going to do is play those clips and say, you know what, if you're going to start penalizing hot political rhetoric, let's do it for both sides.
1: This is a very important point in all of this, and it's in some ways the most troubling legacy of what has happened with the transition of power to the Biden administration. Uh, They have embraced now double standards in the policing of speech that are meant to politically crush the other side. If we say fight for your rights, it's insurrection, it's violence. If they say uh, Trump didn't really win the election, he uh, he's an agent of Russia. Vladimir Putin has compromise on him. And oh, any moment now, you know, he's going to hand the, the country over to the Kremlin. That's just, you know, analysis and, and editorializing or just straight news. I mean, they'll lie even more about it. This disparity is something that they are entirely embracing because they think they have the power now to do it. This is not a side effect. This is the intent. The Democrats want to be able To use the most inflammatory rhetoric possible. They want political violence to be excused and minimized on their side, as we see from BLM and Antifa constantly. And then on the other side, they want the perception to be that if you are a conservative, if you're a Republican, if you're a Trump supporter, and you say anything that borrows from the common usage martial rhetoric of politics, you're a bad person. You've incited violence. Sorry, you're responsible for that Capitol Hill insurrection, even after the fact you were contributing to it, even if you weren't there and didn't say anything and didn't know about it. You were a contributor, even though it happened before you said the thing you said doesn't matter. Go back in and read just a few chapters in the in the early stages, the 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 sewage system of the uh, of the Soviet Union. Was was one way that Solzhenitsyn would refer to this. And it, it's, it's amazing when you see how the arguments. The arguments that would be raised by the system. Were it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Um, it was all meant to just take care of dissent. It didn't make any difference whatsoever if you had a a fair point. It didn't make any difference if you uh, were, you know, you you were meant to be flushed away. Be quiet. We're in power. Shut up. Your arguments don't matter. What side of the political aisle is doing that right now? Who is really doing that? Just getting rid of uh, of of the arguments of the other side without even engaging. Is that on the right or is that on the left? We know that it's certainly not on the right. We, we don't own the social media platforms, the corporate news media, Hollywood, academia. We, we don't have control of these things. No corporation bends the knee and begs forgiveness for offending right wingers. No major company says, oh, I'm so sorry that you know, Christian conservatives feel like they've been affronted in some way by one of our policies. No, quite the opposite. So who really has the power right now? Who's really calling the shots? That then brings me to this impeachment this week. Even when they're in power, it's not enough to wield it. They have to destroy the other side because here's something that you got to know. The single greatest asset that Republicans have um, is that the incompetence, absurdity, fecklessness and phoniness of the Democrats is going to be obvious for all to see. I mean, after six more months of bumble, of of bumbling, mumbling Biden and John Kerry's climate lectures, you know, maybe he should just call in from the yacht, you know, really just go all in, John Kerry. The midterms are going to start to look a whole lot more promising than they do right now, that's for sure. But it'll also be this will be an opportunity. You'll see this for uh, Democrats to, to say the most absurd stuff you've ever heard about a president and that's saying a lot given what they've already said about trump and senator hirono uh is, is trying to say that there might be some surprise vote from the gop I, I certainly don't think she's right but you never know until it happens uh senator hirono among the, I, I always said among the it's probably is the dumbest person in the united states congress uh, she's saying that oh don't worry there is going to be the surprise vote play six
3: well, what I understand is that most of my Republican colleagues will vote to not convict him and hiding behind this argument, uh, which is uh, not uh, uh, adhered to by most constitutional scholars, that, that impeaching a president who has already left office is unconstitutional. That is not the case. So they'll hide behind that. Why, John? Because what is happening with my Republican colleagues, most of them, is uh, their extreme fear of Donald Trump and the Trump base. So what's motivating them is uh, extreme fear rather than doing their constitutional responsibility to listen to the evidence and uh, make a a vote for conviction.
1: My bad. I actually misread the the verbatim, as they call it on that one. I thought she was saying they might vote for conviction because they had been in fear. But no, she's saying they won't vote because they are scared. Uh, They won't vote for conviction because they're scared. And no, they won't vote for conviction because he didn't incite an insurrection. And Democrats set a standard. I think this is very important. And the standard is that they are that it's allowable to question an election result as long as you're doing it against Republicans. We thought the standard was it's just allowable to question an election result because that would be a standard. But they've got a double standard. And that's what will be operating here. That's what will be going on. And then, of course, more about, well. We don't even have you know, they're going to talk more about uh, how this is all about repudiating white supremacy, uh, which is now in our in our discourse and in just news and analysis, the most abused and overused phrase in the English language, which is pretty astonishing. when you think about it. I've never heard so much referred to that has nothing to do with the original term. Uh, White supremacy is just now a catch all for we hate the other political people. They'll call anybody the same way they used to call anything they didn't like racist in the 90s. They'll call anyone they don't like now or anything, any system, a white supremacist or a a part of white supremacy and never have to define it, never have to back this up. It's just the smear that's useful. And so they continue to deploy it. And and, and speaking of smears, you got to hear what they're saying about Governor Ron DeSantis right now. They're delusional and they're dishonest.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show.
4: I gotta tell you, in watching 22,000 fans, uh, in the stadium yesterday, uh, m- most wearing masks, but then afterwards, revelers running all around without masks. I-, I just kept on thinking super spreader event, super spreader event, super spreader event. And I was thinking about Governor DeSantis with, you know, lifting all of the restrictions. I, I thought, you know, Florida's gonna kill all of us. I-, I really felt that way. And there should be no reason, uh, why wearing a mask has been politicized the way that it it has been. There should be no reason why Governor DeSantis um, has been so woefully inadequate in terms of uh, protecting uh, the people, not only of Florida, but the people of the United States. Imagine all those those people, those fourteen thousand and five hundred ticket buyers uh, who are now going to fly back somewhere or go back into their communities and infect other people. I-, I thought it was just despicable and disgusting.
1: Now, she's just, I guess, not very smart. This woman on The View. Um, 14 should she really think that 14,000 people who were at this open air stadium and socially distanced they all got infected really that it's a super spreader event really what were the black lives matter protests which were outside were were they super spreader events i just want to know no they weren't oh okay so the virus discriminates on the basis of politics right sure it only infects right-wing outdoor gatherings but this is also the Super Bowl. It's not even a right wing gathering. It's just people want to see football. Ah, but it's in Florida. So there's a political component to it, you see. Uh, you are going to be, unfortunately, dragged through dishonesty that will truly blow your mind in the months ahead. The data speaks for itself. Ron DeSantis has the 3rd uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the third largest state in the country by population. Is in the middle of the pack nationwide for COVID mortality. That includes states like Wyoming, Vermont, Montana, you know, that, that includes states where there's far fewer people, no real cities to speak of, you know, large cities to speak of. Sorry. And you know, you're talking about Florida, which was open the whole time. And limited the tyranny of the mask shamers and the, and the lockdown lunatics limited their tyranny. And the response uh, you get from people now looking at the data is just lie about it. DeSantis is the bad guy in all of this. They, they have to tell they have to convince people that because unless they get them all bleeding it like the sheep they are, if they actually look at the data, they look at the numbers, you'd have to say, OK, DeSantis did not shut his state down and yet had a better a better COVID result in every possible way you can gauge it than, uh, than California, than New York, than New Jersey, than, I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak out of turn and guess at a number of other states, but I'm sure it's better than Michigan, better than Illinois. And they're acting like he's the bad guy. You'll, you'll see this. This is going to be very clear because, you know, what terrifies them? Think about this. Trump's down. His whole family's now down in Florida. Florida has become the new Texas in a lot of ways. Sorry, Texas. I love you. But, you know, your governor's not been so great. Governor Abbott, not so great. Austin, little too Looney Tunes, Austin. With the policies, I know we got our KLBJ folks there, but. Uh, Austin, I'm told, is like San Francisco plopped down in the middle of Texas right now. Uh, Although really good food. So that's nice. And here's what's going on with the way the Democrats are viewing all this. If DeSantis is able to get that Trump apparatus behind him with being a very effective governor, with having a record to show through a true crisis that he was he was smarter and braver and just better at this than other people in positions of authority and power. He will be a formidable candidate. If he were to choose to run and especially if the Trumps decided to get behind him, you know, maybe maybe Ivanka runs for Senate in Florida and uh, Laura Trump runs for Senate in North Carolina. And, you know, Donald Trump Jr. decides that he wants to really just push DeSantis this this go round. He's still got a long time before he would have to run himself. So they're trying to deal with this right away. Stop the DeSantis train before it can get going. And I'm sure Floridians are saying, stop trying to steal my governor, Buck, but the nation may need him. The nation may need him. Uh, think about that. A, an America first agenda filtered through the the uh, judgment and and uh, aptitude for governance of Ron DeSantis. That could really be something. I mean, look, I don't want to get too early in this and celebrating before we all. But we're, we're seeing the covid numbers making it very clear who's done what. But, you know, they're going to lie about him. And this is why I I want to establish this now for all of you. They're going to be lying to you about DeSantis. Play uh, four.
5: Obviously, Florida remains uh, a hot spot. Uh, The variant uh, looks like uh, it could spread very quickly around this state. And Mika, uh, vaccinations continue to go at an Unbelievably slow rate.
6: Yeah, no, the the vaccine process is is painfully slow. I mean, there are people who are in categories who you know are definitely apply for it right now, uh, like my mother, people eight, over the age of seventy who cannot get it, and then you see video of kids squashed together screaming. At each other, probably drinking. I mean, this is just a nightmare. Well, I That mean, is a COVID nightmare. You,
5: you talk about your mother. There's somebody who's 89, who has Parkinson's. And she can't get the vaccine. She hasn't been able to get a vaccine. <laughs> uh, and we know a lot of people uh, who are in their mid to late 70s, 80s, who have underlying conditions in Florida can't get their vaccines either. Seriously? I, how hard... Uh, has this been? I know that uh, Ron DeSantis uh, has been uh, stumbling around over the past year or so and has had some real problems, uh, especially as it's pertained to vaccines. But I don't think anybody would have expected him to foul it up as badly as he has.
1: Now, let me just give you numbers so you understand how much these idiots on Morning Joe are lying to you. They're lying to you. You hear this. Oh, yeah, it's so bad. You know, DeSantis done such a bad job. New York and Florida have roughly equal population. New York is the epitome of the Fauciite Democrat lockdown state. Okay, the epitome of it. And, and I'm here and I know and I've been dealing with it. First doses received of the vaccine in New York, and we've got roughly the same population here, folks, New York and Florida. First doses received 1.8 million in New York. Oh, who wants to guess how many have been received in Florida? Two point seven million. So is is two point seven million more than one point eight million? Does any do any libs out there, does morning joe can Morning Joe math good for me for a second here? Can you math good Joe Scarborough? What's more? Two point seven million or one point eight million? Hmm. But John Bron DeSantis has done a terrible job with the vaccine. Okay. you say, well, Buck, that's only that's only uh, one metric. Okay, well let's look at the most important metric of all deaths. And remember, we're talking about a population. Florida has 2 million more people. Okay. So Florida actually, in a sense, is is not a fair comparison in Florida's favor. When you're looking at a number like this, Uh, Florida deaths from COVID-19, 27,814 New York deaths from COVID-19. As of today, according to CDC data, 44,512, Okay, again, Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski. Let's see if you can math good. What's more, twenty-seven thousand or forty-four thousand? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller, Bueller. But Ron DeSantis has messed it up so badly. Do Do you see, friends? We have we have a scoreboard now, so to speak, with things like the vaccination. We have results to look at here. This is this is not just opinion. This is not, oh, I like my guy. You like your guy. This is we actually have data to borrow from the Fauch, And the data unequivocally. With absolute clarity. Shows that Florida did better than New York over the last 12 months of dealing with this pandemic. There is no honest, serious argument otherwise It doesn't exist. And you can look at, uh, at, at other similar states. By the way, New Jersey would be the same thing. Very hard lockdown in New Jersey. Very serious with the virus. Um, and, and if you look at other, other blue states, you know, it, it becomes very clear what's happening here. And, and I want everyone to understand this. Um, they have to lie. They have to lie about this because their power is at stake. They they told you so many things that were not true and they won't admit now, even when the data speaks clearly to how they were wrong, that they were wrong. They just want to change course a little bit slowly. They told you things that were not true. They made people suffer and they understand that if the American people come to recognize that there will be consequences for those in charge, they will be kicked out of power because they're idiots and the Democrat Party will lose power. So what do they do? They are just telling you things that are not true. I mean, Morning Joe and The View and these other shows, they're going after low information voters out there who watch these shows and think that they're getting intelligent analysis and and, an honest journalism or whatever. And they're they're just making stuff up. You cannot say that Ron DeSantis has done a bad job with COVID compared to other states of similar size and population density. It is an impossible argument to make. And yet they're not only are they saying that he didn't do his they're saying that he did a terrible job and other people did a good job like Cuomo. Yeah. Um, These people never cared about you. They didn't care about the suffering you went through. Uh, These media talking heads did not miss a single paycheck. Uh, They don't feel bad for you when you're, you know, coughing through a mask. If you're trying to go to the gym after being depressed for months and months, after losing your job, after watching your kid perhaps be near suicidal because you can't see his friend. They don't care about any of that. It's all about Joe Biden winning the Democrats, good people in the White House. That's what they care about.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at bucksexton.com.
1: What should we be expecting this week as the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump happens after he's left office? We're joined now by our friend Danielle D'Souza-Gill. She is a commentator and author of a book, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Danielle, great to see you.
7: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So what are your expectations for what we're going to be going through with this post-presidency impeachment trial, which is fun to say, but not going to be fun to watch?
7: Yeah, my expectation is that President well, president Trump will obviously be acquitted. They won't have the vote, but the left is clearly doing this as a show trial. They know that um, not only is this unconstitutional because he's not the president, but they also won't have the vote. So they're clearly doing this really just as a way to continue slandering him. Many you know, media people on the left know that in order to keep their high ratings, they have to keep talking about Trump and, and continue um, kind of keeping him on the stage as someone to go against. Even though um, Biden, Biden is president,
1: and do you think that the GOP is going to actually be surprised by any of the votes that may be cast in favor of in favor of conviction here? We've had forty-five of fifty GOP senators who have said, "You know what? Um, we don't even think this is constitutional." But that leaves a handful that may in fact cast their votes. So you could have the first ever uh, the first ever failed. Uh, conviction here, but one that would have on the Senate side, bipartisan support for a president's removal and, and, uh, and barring from office.
7: Yeah. I don't think it'll be too surprising. I mean, we know that a Romney for example is going to vote for him to be impeached because he hates Trump and so on. So I think there'll, there'll be those few, but the majority of the Republican party supports Trump and also use this as unconstitutional um, and even, even so, Trump is not to blame for inciting the riot. He clearly tweeted about people being peaceful and asked people to be peaceful. And then Twitter removed his tweet saying that. So clearly, they don't actually care about the facts of, of what happened. And many people in the GOP are saying, well, this is going to kind of keep us from uniting and moving forward. But I don't think that that's the best argument. And the best argument is that This is clearly unconstitutional, one, because he's he's not the president. And number two, he is not guilty of what you
1: say. Speaking of Danielle D'Souza Gill, she's the author of The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. And Danielle, we've already seen some troubling stuff from the Biden administration when it comes to the issue of life and and being pro-life. What's going on so far and what are some of the concerns you have about where this Biden presidency? You know, he's all about his Catholic faith, they tell us. He's all about being Grandpa Joe, they say. But then what we've seen so far is a lot of very left wing stuff on on immigration, on energy, but also on the abortion issue.
7: Absolutely. Biden, Harris, saki they love to hide behind the fact that Biden uh, claims to be Catholic. Yet he has, uh, through the Mexico City, Mexico City policy um, made America so that we are funding abortions abroad. So. Not only will we be will we be funding them here, but in other countries. And I think what this shows is that America actually has some of the most radical abortion policies in the world. Many other countries have more traditional values than we do. They have more restrictions on abortion. And yet we are exporting these very radical views to other countries around the world by putting putting our, um, our taxpayer dollars into that. So, I mean, it's very disturbing. And many people... Who are Republicans before this said that, hey, you know Biden isn't, you know, this this moderate that you think he is. He actually is very radical on all these things. And now that he's he's president, he's proved to be that radical. He's um, included Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, all these people um, in leadership positions. You know, if we move, if we will be on the abortion issue. So clearly Biden is operating in a place where he's he's trying to bring in a lot of the radical side of the democratic party while still trying to act like he's moderate so he can kind of have the best of both worlds or something but um meanwhile a lot of us are seeing through that, and this kind of i'm a catholic argument really is just totally hollow
1: yeah I, I have been saying for a while that as a catholic he actually has a responsibility if he was a serious they say he's devout amy coney barrett Is radical, but uh, on her Catholicism, but but Joe Joe Biden is devout. Um, do, Do you think that people are going to start to see through this facade more as Biden, as you said, pushes further and further to the left, including on policies that are in direct contradiction to his allegedly Catholic beliefs?
7: Yeah, I think it's laughable that the media is trying to create this caricature of him as the most religious president we've ever had, the most, you know, Catholic president or something, posting photos of him sitting, um, you know, in a church and so on, as if this kind of makes him, you know, a true uh, religious believer. And the reality is that his policies go completely against that, and I think that, you um, in order for people to see that they they don't have to look too far. It's really front and center. Only a few days into being president, did he did he do that? And he's issued all kinds of executive orders. Um, so no, I think it's really just a charade by the media to make him seem as though he's the great unifier and you know rope religion into this. But um, he clearly clearly does not consider his his faith to be central to anything that he does. He yeah,
1: uses it as a shield to avoid criticism. But we'll we'll continue to stay on it. Danielle D'Souza Gill, author of The Choice. Danielle, great to see you. Thanks for joining.
7: Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: A Saki bomb dropped on the Green New Deal situation. You got Jen Saki, White House Press Secretary who has had some trouble with the circling back and the ums and the ahs and the ums. People are pointing out that if your job is to be the the primary user of the microphone for the the White House and the West Wing, you should have a greater fluency of speech, perhaps. But nonetheless, here we are. And uh, she's up there mostly getting what you would recognize very quickly as uh, very fluffy, friendly questions like, "Ah, oh, is Joe Biden just totally in love with his dog or does he just think his dog is the greatest dog of all dogs? Just tell us. And that's what you're going to get from the press for four years because they really think their job now is to assist the Biden administration to stay in power and get its policies done. Speaking truth, to power is the opposite of what they think their jobs are. Well, let's all be very clear about that right now. Um. But occasionally there will be because there are still a, a, a few outlets left that have uh, some access and some credibility to ask real questions. And an example of that would certainly be Fox News and Peter Ducey, the new uh, White House correspondent for Fox News, and he got a lot of a lot of pushback from other journalists for asking this question. But this is an excellent question because you've heard this many times whenever the Democrats get pushed into a corner on the jobs that are lost and the downside of their green new deal madness, they always go, well, uh, you know, John Kerry will say, the, the uh, the energy workers, uh, of the, you know, I, I spoke to my gardener and he said that he knows somebody who once was near somebody who was on an oil rig and, well, we may cost that person their job making $90,000 a year with good benefits. Uh, perhaps we can have them work in a Chinese solar assembly plant for 50 cents a day and save the planet. I mean, that's basically what they're telling you. Your job's gone, but don't worry, there's going to be some other Green New Deal job. It's going to be way better. The Green New Deal job's going to be way better for you. OK, does the green who pays who pays rent in a few weeks. Does that imaginary Green New Deal job pay for the jobs, uh, uh, pay for the, the rents of the people who lost their jobs because of this? No. Hmm. Peter Ducey, High five and a hat tip to him. asked Gensaki a very straightforward, very important question. Play two.
8: When is it that the Biden administration is gonna let the thousands of uh, fossil fuel industry workers, whether it's pipeline workers or construction workers, who are either out of work or will soon be out of work because of a Biden EO, uh, when it is and where it is that they can go for their green job? And that is something the administration has promised. Uh, There is now a gap. So I'm just curious when that happens, when those people can count on that.
9: Well, I, I'd certainly welcome you to present your data of all the thousands and thousands of people who uh, won't be getting a green job. Maybe next time you're here, you well, can no, present that. But
8: you said that they would be getting green jobs, so I'm just asking when that happened. Uh, Richard Trumka, who is a friend, longtime friend mm-hmm. of Joe Biden, says about that day one Keystone EO, he says, I wish he, the president, had paired that more carefully with the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we are creating the jobs. So. There's partial evidence from Richard Trumka.
9: Well, you didn't include all of his interview. Would you like to include the rest? So
8: so how about this? Uh, The Laborers International Union of North America said the Keystone Decision will cost 1,000 existing union jobs and 10,000 projected construction jobs.
9: Well, what Mr. Trump also indicated in the same interview was that President Biden has proposed a climate plan with transformative investments and in infrastructure and laid out a plan that will not only create millions of good union jobs, but also help tackle the climate crisis.
1: Yeah. So like, here's the thing, like, yes, like you, you like poor people with your union jobs on the Keystone, the icky, the icky pipeline thing that makes all the the goo and the mess for the environment. You're like totally going to like have this really nice, like awesome Green New Deal job at some point in the future. We just like don't know when, but Biden's like totally smart and really smart. About the the jobs and there's going to be these Green New Deal jobs for you. So just like just like take a chill, you know? Yeah, I know the mortgage payments. Totally. It's really hard. But like, you know, that's that's the Biden administration on policy when it comes to energy in a nutshell. Sorry that we've done something based on ideological reasons. That's absurd that are absurd in the first place. Oh, the world is melting. Climate change. Um, and it's going to really hurt people, cost them jobs. They no longer have employ, uh employment. They no longer have salaries and benefits and can't feed their families, can't pay their bills at a time when the country is already suffering. At least some people in the country are suffering economically a lot. But they they defer the political backlash to this by saying, oh, don't worry. We're going to get you this awesome other job. Soon, we're going to get you this awesome other job any day now. Really? Is, is that what's going to happen? They're going to get them an awesome job any day now? Huh. And they brought up the, uh, the Trump interview. This guy's a big, big union boss. And here's what he actually said back in the first days after the Biden inauguration, when the first thing Biden does gets rid of the Keystone XL pipeline. And Can I just r- remind everybody? The Keystone XL pipeline is is in most people's minds being canceled because or was canceled by Biden because of climate change and the need to combat CO2 emissions. Every analysis of the Keystone XL pipeline done by independent uh, agencies, by by scientists, by everyone who's looked at it, including the State Department under the Obama administration, said that canceling the Keystone XL pipeline would result in greater overall CO2 emissions. The oil still comes out of the ground. It still gets burned for use in fossil fuels, but now it will be even more costly and more CO2 intensive to transport the oil. But they convinced a lot of ignorant people, a lot of, yeah, I just like want all the trees to breathe the fresh air and like not have the CO2, but... Wait! Don't trees take in CO two? I get so confused. Uh, and they 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 wanted to make those people, the environmentalists left, feel like they got a win, and this was an easy win. So shut shut it down. This is just pure emotion and ideology. Shut it down. Now, with that established, here is Richard Trumpka explaining exactly what this means. Well, what happens to the thousands of jobs? Play eight.
5: I wish he hadn't done that on the first day because the Labor's International was right. It did and will cost us jobs in the process. If I wish he had paired that more carefully uh, with uh, the, the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we're creating jobs. We can do mine reclamation, we can fix leaks and we can fix seeps and create hundreds of thousands of jobs in doing all of that stuff. You think Biden realizes that that was a mistake? That announcement i i think so yes
1: <laughs> so th- that's the interview i'm i'm just saying you know there's richard trump a big union guy who's like uh they can promise a lot of things i mean i just want to know if i if i walked into your office your your place of work your place of business wherever that was and i said hey i'm from the biden administration we're gonna fire you today but we're like totally gonna give you this awesome green job at some point in the future. We don't know where, we don't know what your salary will be, and we don't know when, but you're like totes gonna have this awesome green new deal job, so just don't worry about it. How would you feel? Would you feel like that's a that's a, fair, a fair trade-off? It's a, a good thing to present to you? Of course not. If someone showed up to me and said, yeah, you know your whole media career and all this stuff, That's going to go away, but we are totally going to hook you up with a job at a solar power plant at some point. Oh, you don't know any You've never worked in a solar. It's going to be great. You know, they have them in China and people are loving the manual labor they have to do day in and day out at those assembly lines for very low pay. So it'll be great here, too. it will be really high paying jobs. Don't worry. Oh, you have no skills in that area? Well, you'll develop some, you know, maybe learn to code or something. I don't know. Just shut up. We're saving the planet. That's the, that's the real logic of the argument here. That's how it works. That's how it unfolds. I think that's a problem. I think that that shows how disconnected the Democrat Party really is from people who are actually in the working class. They don't care when they lose their jobs. They don't care about the suffering that they have. And we have to hold them to account for this because there are only a few people, and as I said, props to... Uh, Peter ducey there are only few people that even have the access and the willingness to ask real questions of the government. The answer to the question, what happens to people who lose their jobs because of the climate change mania of Biden and the Democrats is they don't have green jobs to give them. That's the real answer. You lose your job and maybe one day we'll get you some other job. And in the meantime, tough for you, union workers. That's what the Democrat Party is. He's actually saying without saying it. Gotta save the planet, sorry. Yeah, we have like all the great green jobs though and they're like so green and like you're just gonna love them. Mm, I don't think Saki Bombs winning over a lot of union guys with that one.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at bucksexton.com.
6: That if we can get 70 to 85 percent of our population vaccinated and get to what we would hope would be to a degree of herd immunity, which really is an umbrella or a, or a veil of protection against the community where the level of virus is so low, it's not a threat at all. Then at that point, you could start thinking in terms of not having to have a uniform wearing of masks. But we're certainly not near there yet. When do I think that would occur? You know, it's very difficult to predict, Brett, but if everything falls into the right place and we get this under control, it is conceivable that you might be able to pull back a bit on some of the public health measures as we get into the late fall of
1: this year. Late fall, a.k.a. the winter, a.k.a. mask up another year, plebs. Get ready for it. We're going to mark this one down. You think I'm, I'm going to get vaccinated or people around me are going to get vaccinated and everything's going to be fine, right? Then I can go, nope. You'll say, well, hold on a second. If, if we really get down to, you know, 50 COVID deaths a month, 100 COVID deaths a month in this country, we're, gonna, we're not all going to have to wear masks then, right? Oh, no. Yes, you are. You will mask up until they say you can take that thing off. That's, that's the rule. You see, it's until they say so. They won't even give you a number. They won't even give you a real percentage. Um, Fauci here says 70 to 85 percent. Okay, well, which is it? That's a that's a when you're talking about 330 million people, that's a pretty big gap in there. So do we have to have 70 percent or and how are we going to gauge that herd immunity? See, they tell you it's about the data, but then you start looking at it. You say, well, what data? And how are you getting it? And how are you analyzing it? What are you really saying? They don't care. It's about control, see? It's about uh, they get to tell you what to do. They get to fail repeatedly. And if you have any problem with this, well, you're the problem. If you have any questions about this, that's on you, don't you see? You say, well, hold, hold on a second. What's with that? Why can't why can't they explain these things? Well, that's because you're going to be wearing a mask right now under the under the Fauciite regime. You will be wearing a mask, Mend And if you say, "Oh, Buck, my state is not that," get on a plane. You're going to be wearing a mask. Get on a you know mass transit. You're going to be wearing a mask. A lot of you know stores and uh, places. And in some ways, it'll be even more tense when lo- you, you go into your local grocery store. You don't have to wear a mask, but you go into You know, you go into Costco and you're not allowed in without a mask. And you're like, wait, wait a second, what is this? How we're really stopping virus now by some places and other? Well, we've been doing that all along, of course. Right? This whole thing has just been a mess. People have not been honest about the realities of this. The people in charge are just delusional. But you're going to be masking up for another year, at really at a minimum, I think, another year. And I'm not even sure it'll stop then because there'll be some COVID next winter. So, yeah, th- this is now the new normal. You got to mask up, you know, for notice, we've never gone through this before in human history. We've gone uh, we've gone with full scale masking for this duration of time. This many people This never happened before. Suddenly, suddenly the mask has been discovered as the great defeater of pandemics. But did it defeat this pandemic? Did it even noticeably slow the pandemic anywhere you can point to? Well. You ask these questions and they yell at you because they're wrong, but they don't want to admit that. Because they're so much believing in the science. I'm not even going to play it for you today. There's another video of a guy. There's a woman, elderly woman and, and her daughter who's probably in her 40s or 50s. Um and and he's he does the mask. He takes out, you know, you're in uh you're in a, a store and you don't have a mask on, he starts videoing her. And I mean, mask shamers are just the worst. This guy's videoing somebody who has what, a, well, probably a one in 10,000 shot of actually ha- being COVID positive right now. So think about that. The re- of any one individual person just randomly who has no symptoms, randomly having COVID, it's very, very small by by numbers, by percentages that they actually have COVID. And you're harassing this person and acting like they're the reason that there's been this pandemic. You're, bl- you're putting it all on them in that moment because they won't comply this is this is a hysteria within the brain. But these the people that believe that the world's going to end from climate change are the same people that think that if you don't wear a mask, uh, you are the cause of the pandemic that's killed hundreds of thousands of people. That one moment, they catch you not wearing a mask. Everybody goes through lots of times when they're not wearing masks and exposing themselves. And, you know, that's just the way it is. But you see, it's for show. It's it's for. The good people wear the mask is the whole point. It's not about stopping the virus. It's a big virtue signal. You're a good, smart person. Wear that mask all the time. Sure. It's a great great idea. Uh, But yeah, Fauci says maybe 70 to 85 percent, maybe late fall, maybe, 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 maybe. Do you think he's going to move those goalposts? You will be wearing a mask for at least another year under this Biden regime. So I hope everyone's in the gym. And that, in a lot of places, means they want you to wear it outside, too. Summertime, got to wear a mask. Going to gather with people, got to wear a mask. These people are out of their minds. They're crazy. Oh, the science! Yeah, it's worked, it's worked wonders, hasn't it? All the masking in New York and California and all these different states. Oh, it's, you know, it's done so much to slow the spread of this thing. And who, who really believes that? The only thing that really works to slow the spread of this thing is limiting human contact with each other. So you can do it if you're going to keep people locked in their homes for long periods of time and prevent visitors and prevent you know, travelers from other countries to come there. So, yes, you can lock down an island like New Zealand and not have a lot of covid. You're not locking down 330 million people in America when this is already spread within the population. This is what I was saying all along. The whole test and trace thing was always absurd because it had, it had already gotten to the point where it was endemic. As part of the pandemic, it was already spreading within the population. So how are you going to test and trace something where there's thousands, tens of thousands of cases every day? How many tests and tracers do you really need for that? You're going to need more. You're going to need more tests and tracers than you have people with the disease. And it's crazy. You're never going to be able to track all those people down. This was just applying logic and reason to it. How successful has the uh, test and trace program been? How successful has that been? I just, I'm just, i just wondering. You know how you were told by the experts that that was really important? You know how you're told by the experts that that was necessary for getting the pandemic under control? Really? How'd that, how that work out for us? Oh, but now they're saying, oh, we're going to start opening schools. Opening schools in New York uh, later on this month, New York City, uh, up to a certain grade level. You know, now we've got this little bit of a change in opinion. It's because, one, things are getting... The virus is slowing down naturally and as a result of the vaccine, but also naturally within its cycle. And beyond that, uh, the political consequences of continuing to ruin people's lives when they can see that what what the ruining of the lives was not necessary through the lockdowns. But they did this anyway. um, That comes with uh, consequences and costs of its own. And people like Governor Cuomo of New York don't want to pay that cost.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Our man in D.C. joining us now, Steve Yates. He is the principal of D.C. International Advisory, and he is formerly the Deputy National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney. He's also a fluent Mandarin speaker, my friend. He's got a a lot of tricks up his sleeve, this guy. Steve Yates, everybody. Steve, great to have you on.
6: Buck, it's great to join you. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's start. I got I got America questions and I got China questions. Let's start with some America questions for you. First off, impeachment this week. What what do Democrats really believe they will accomplish with this? I I know for MSNBC and CNN, The New York Times, its ratings, it's a a little nostalgia trip of orange man bad, you know, fine. But what do you think there's there's a bigger or a a more important strategy at work for the Democrats?
6: For the Democrats, I I I really think it's important for anyone who doesn't live in the confines of a complete blue pill environment uh, to understand that these people are really deep in their own imaginations about the realities of what has happened in recent times. I think they see themselves as dancing on the grave of their nemesis, Uh, and their aim, they think, is to tarnish his reputation so much that he can't do what he is best at which is to go and have big rallies and move a coalition of voters that actually took a significant chunk out of democrats hides didn't change the election outcome for him apparently but it sure did change a lot when it goes county by county and district by district i think that's what they fear in the 2022 midterms policy-wise and politics-wise they're diving deep on their side in a way that I think imperils their chances in the midterm. And I say God bless them for it.
1: You think there's any real way that it seems Liz Cheney has become a kind of leader within the GOP of, of the, the Trump purge movement? Uh, you, you think that they're going to they're going to wrest control away from the the Trumpists within the GOP over time? Or is that a fool's errand?
0: I
6: really don't think that they'll succeed in trying to do that. Uh, As you know, I have a significant part of my life that is friendly and loyal to the Cheney family. Uh, I don't understand or support the politics of the idea that that, that any of this impeachment process was legitimate. Uh, I mean, when you have the president on video, in his own words, telling people to peaceably go about their business, pretty hard to say how that uh, rises to the level of what was described, whether it's by Representative Cheney or anyone else, as impeachable or some grave sin against our country. Uh, And to try to remove a civilian from public office is uh, about as nonsensical as it gets. So it's all about tarring the brand. Uh, I don't think the brand is tarred among Republicans. A huge percentage of Republicans identify with the Trump agenda, identify in many, many ways with the man because they recognize that what he said was true they're not coming for him alone they're coming for all of us and when he was in office he was taking the flack on our behalf and i think there's a lot of people who see the reality in that statement now
1: and uh Stephen, i also and we're speaking to Stephen yates he was deputy national security advisor to vice president cheney in the bush administration and he's the principal of dc international advisory uh I think it's important for everybody to know because we've we've had this four years of of orange man bad or some would say orange man worse than Hitler. You know, all this this kind of crazy, the Trump deranged stuff that's been out there. I've I've never seen so much. Well, I should say it's been a long time since I've seen so much hatred heaped on a politician. A big part of this, though, was that the anti-Trump voices in the corporate media and the Democrat Party were pretending that, well, other Republicans were much more genteel and we could get along with better. I seem to recall uh, during the Bush Cheney era when I was in the CIA that people wanted in the media Dick Cheney to be tried at the Hague for being a war criminal. Can, can you just give us a little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of how okay, Orange Man bad, but Trump? I mean, uh, but uh, Bush and Cheney were also worse than Hitler and should spend the rest of their life in prison too, according to the corporate media and the Democrat Party.
6: Absolutely correct. So back in those times, there were uh, people might not remember even the names of these groups, but Code Pink and some other organizations were having their marches, uh, were having loud and uh, pretty prominent demonstrations in D.C., outside the White House, around the Capitol, wherever necessary. Uh, And uh, they were making all kinds of accusations, blood for oil, all kinds of stuff. Uh, that related to Iraq, that related to the war on terror, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, there but wasn't Dick, Cheney, wasn't Dick Bush Cheney, wasn't Dick Cheney secretly, secretly
1: Stephen, wasn't Dick Cheney secretly um, like drinking the blood of children while he was watching his Halliburton stock skyrocket for starting the war? I mean, there was really crazy stuff out there in pretty mainstream outlets about how he was Darth oh, Vader, at, I mean, right? This was the, This was the way it was. Well,
6: the, that was actually his happiest moment when the meme of him as Darth Vader started to circulate. He actually thought that was kind of cool, that a guy that was somewhat nerdy and wonky through most of his career had gone full cultural mainstream and being in a, an iconic meme like that Darth Vader thing. So he thought that was kind of funny. But the, the war criminal stuff, the profiteering off of things, I mean, here's a guy who was a secretary of defense, loved and honored our troops everywhere we possibly went, sort of like Donald Trump had done during his tenure as president, there's these leaders that revere the men and women who keep us safe. Uh, And so the idea that they get accused of profiteering or seeking advantage really sort of hurt them at a personal level. That was the only area really where it kind of got through the tough exterior, I think. Uh, That and when they went after his family, when his ire would really come up. But yeah, the, the left really threw the whole kit and caboodle at him. And when I say the left, I mean, Democrats in Congress
1: for and for anyone who's wondering, I I just I bring this up, Stephen, because the return to normalcy that we were supposed to be promised in a Biden administration, there's no such I mean, it's just it's a purge of Republicans. You're evil. You're racist. You're awful. You know, you need to be deplatformed and fired and canceled. And it's not like Trump is gone and now everyone's going to start being nice to conservatives.
6: No. Well, I mean, you know, Nixon was, of course, impeached when they resigned. Uh, was about to be impeached and resigned. Uh, After Bush, uh, there was sort of a cleansing because of a new Democrat wave was coming until the Republican Revolution balanced things out a bit on the Hill. After Bush, there was a pretty heavy purge of things during the Obama years. Uh, And I remember uh, traveling the world and occasionally would get shouted down by an outspoken liberal uh, because of my association with the Bush White House. Even though I didn't work on the Iraq War, I somehow was identified as someone who needed to defend everything that was possibly done. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, the return to normal means uh, the world according to the left and that only they are allowed to occupy the expensive, uh, privileged positions of D.C., New York and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, Steve, for what it's worth, by the time I got to the Iraq office at the CIA uh, the country had already devolved into insurgency and mayhem and there were you know videotaping people's executions with chainsaws in broad daylight but occasionally in dc somebody would sort of find out what i you know where where i was or what i worked on it. and i was the you know i had started the iraq war i was like i'm pretty sure you that's like, you know <laughs> uh, it had been going on for about a uh, three four years by the time i showed up but you're still responsible for the whole thing anyway
6: i blame buck every
1: yeah i mean it it was all my fault all those memos (laughs) i wrote but but steve i i also want to want to shift gears we're speaking to steve yates uh principal of dc international advisory and he's down in dc so it makes sense for the name um what what you're what you're seeing right now with the u.s china relationship i'm trying to tell everybody this is the primary foreign policy challenge not just of this administration but of the next 20 years and i know there's all this focus on climate change I just feel like China's got to be loving this because dialing back Trump's straight talk about China in and of itself is going to give Xi Jinping more room for maneuver. And and my I keep telling everybody this. I almost have an investment based thesis here that China is just going to be eating America's lunch for the next four years. What do you see happening so far?
6: Well, I think that analysis is sad, but true uh, that uh, that. People have gotten so deep in the personalization of American politics and their own echo chamber on social media that they, they have basically missed one of the most important strategic shifts in American policy, and that was under Trump dealing with China. Uh, and I, I think that there's some important politics of that in that the American people, when told the truth, are 100% on the side of where President Trump was going on things economically and strategically with regard to China. And some members of the Trump team, like Secretary Pompeo, I think was an historic transformational secretary of state and talking about that the Communist Party of China is not just a problem for the Chinese people or for us out in the region, but in the United States with Confucius Institutes embedding into academic, financial, political institutions, uh, that this is a, a strategic challenge of a magnitude that Americans haven't experienced, I would argue, It's a bigger challenge than the Soviet threat was in the Cold War because they have more money. They are more deeply embedded into our culture and society. And most of America has been asleep at the switch while the goose is being getting cooked.
1: How nervous are you about some really uh, destabilizing moves from China with regard to Taiwan?
6: Well, very concerned, but I'm actually more concerned about destabilizing moves that China could take in economic, technological, and other areas that would have immediate impact on the United States. I mean, they can have pretty significant impact on markets and uh, and strategic industries because of bad policies to date. Uh, The move against Taiwan, uh, they have always had the means to have some shock and awe but they've lacked the means to actually be able to occupy and control Taiwan. Uh, so I, I, I'm very concerned for the sake of friends that operate there. I'm very concerned about our tech sector, uh, that there's a lot of things made in Taiwan that are in our smartphones and communi- uh, our communicating devices, which now include vehicles and airplanes and everything else, uh, That that is the fruit of Taiwan manufacturing and Taiwan technology. We literally can't afford for China to take over Taiwan without having a massive impact on America's way, way of life. And that's just something I think a broader America has been uh, sort of brought, brought to sleep a bit about. And uh, I would be afraid of China waking us up to that reality.
1: What is, and just one more thing from you, Stephen, um, what is for you the primary error that you worry or you believe the Biden administration will commit uh, in in the months ahead when it comes to China? I mean, what what if you could get put, them to, to one? What is the one thing they're going to do that you would want to say to them? Don't do that thing, Biden team.
6: Well, in some ways, they've already done it. Uh, the sort of going back to the World Health Organization and international organizations generally in undoing every Trump executive order uh, that they, they've already, in a way, enabled the Chinese to insulate themselves from culpability on what I see as the greatest national security, public health and economic attack on our country in the history of the Republic. Uh, and that's the, the the virus that came out of China, undeniably out of China. Uh, and so they've already, I think, gone in the wrong direction on that. Beyond that, uh, I think that they have to keep uh, the coalition of like-minded nations moving toward a clean version of 5g technology one that does not involve chinese uh corporations or technology like huawei Uh, and that because there's just so much of our business and personal way of life that's vested we have to move forward with allies and partners on clean technologies not in a green sense but on a non-chinese communist party sense
1: Stephen yates of dc international advisory he's the principal Stephen, always great to have you my friend we'll talk soon
6: my pleasure thank you buck take care
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. So the question is, is this still the party
6: of Donald Trump and does Marjorie Taylor Greene still hold a solid place?
1: In that party,
3: Chris, we're the party of Abraham Lincoln, we're the party of Ronald Reagan. Uh, we have to really take a hard look at who we are and what we stand for, what we believe in. Uh, I think it, when you look at both uh, his actions leading up to what happened on January 6th, uh, the fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that, that uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate, uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals, uh, somebody who... Uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes. Uh, which resulted in five people dying who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence, uh, that, that is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward. We have to make sure that we uh, are able to convey to the American voters, we are the party of responsibility, we are the party of truth, uh, that we actually can be trusted to handle the challenges this nation faces like COVID. Uh, and, and that's going to require us to focus on substance and policy and issues going forward, but, but we should not be in. The former
1: president. I just think she's wrong. Uh, she's entitled to her opinion. I just think she's wrong on, on a whole lot here. I think she's wrong that uh, that the president is guilty of incitement to insurrection. I think she's wrong that Donald Trump doesn't have a a future in Republican leadership. Um, and I would want to know for, for the people who are saying that they should also tell us, I mean, if Liz Cheney really believes this, does she think she's the future of the Republican Party? I mean, really? What? What? What is the alternative? Does Mitt Romney think he's the future of the Republican Party? Who is going to be in the role of leadership if it is not Trump? Because then can't we make a better decision? Right now, they're saying let's get rid of Trump as leader of the GOP, de facto leader still of the GOP, and and they're encouraging. I mean, Liz Cheney's encouraging a conviction in this in the Senate trial that's underway this week. Who would? Take up that role? Who would take up that mantle? Senator Ted Cruz was supportive of of the election challenges and has already been dragged into all that. So for the Liz cheneys of the world, that doesn't seem like uh, it would be an option. I mean, if if she if she were saying, "Guys, look at Ron DeSantis. That's somebody who's getting things done. We should rally behind him." I, I'm, it's not even about who she would tell us is the future of the GOP. But I I just think that it's interesting that these people that want to push Trump aside. You never hear from what Ben Sass is that really Ben Sass cares about one thing Ben Sass. I mean, this is a guy who is oh, he's reliably in position to stab the GOP in the back the the moment it's convenient for him. So, who is in the leadership role then? Do they have any names? Do the newly uh, ascendant, never Trumpers have anybody they want to put forward? I'm just wondering.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
3: I've called for a complete cancellation of student debt. Uh, we are now asking for up to $50,000 because we know he has the executive authority to do it with an executive action. Um, the, the state that I represent uh, has about 750,000 uh, student debt borrowers. Uh, the average student debt is more than 35,000. Uh, we know that uh, 10,000 is not going to make uh, a dent. Uh, we want people to have the ab- ability uh, to not worry about making their student debt loan uh, payments uh, in a time during a pandemic where they are severely struggling to put food on the table and uh, keep roof over their heads.
1: That's right. You better get ready to. Pick up the tab, America, for your lib CNN watching neighbors uh, degree in feminist literature of the 18th century from, you know, Sarah Lawrence College or something. You better get ready to pick up that tab. Those of you that didn't go to college or that chose not to go to grad school because you didn't want to run up debts. Those of you who have already paid off your college debt after many years of saving and making responsible choices, too bad. Democrats have people to buy off. I, I just wonder. So, could I enroll? Uh, could I take out loans, um, knowing that this is going to happen? Could I take out loans like tomorrow, and and say that I am going to get a master's at NYU or something here in New York, and then just have it wiped away? Because that sounds like a. I mean, that sounds like a great deal. You know, do some correspondence classes and have it all picked up uh, courtesy to Uncle Sam or at least get get fifty thousand dollars of it picked up. You know what? What's the cutoff going to be if you just made your final student loan payment after, you know, 15 years last week? Do they give you that money back? Oh, no, you're you're a chump. You just did the right thing and and paid your debts and were responsible. So too bad for you, I suppose. But Democrats want to wave this away and I'm sorry, I, I know that they don't like to hear this, but I mean, what, what about credit card debt? People buying food, people buying groceries, gas. That debt is non-dischargeable. Oh, in part because of people like Joe Biden that even in bankruptcy, very hard to get rid of credit card debt, you know. Uh, not impossible. Student loan debt is, is effectively impossible to get rid of. Credit card debt is very hard to get rid of. And uh, Joe Biden and and other members of uh, Congress, you know, Joe Biden of Delaware, of course, which is just a state that exists so that companies can incorporate there and the credit card companies top of the list um, to try to avoid, you know, taxes and regulations. Uh, The the issue here is going to be, well, why? Why should this one class of debt be favored over so many others? What about people's mortgages? What about, you know, this is. I understand the the appeal of it for people. I understand why they say, "Oh, this this sounds like a good idea." This is just redistribution of wealth. That's all it is—just taking it from people and giving it to other people because they like them, or because they think they'll get something from helping them. But there's not some greater principle involved here. There's not some uh, great explanation for why this should happen. And it's also a reminder of the fact that we're having this conversation. During a Biden presidency, this was a big thing for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Right, I was warning all along that uh, you were going to have a left wing presidency that was just through the through the prism of Joe Biden, but that you were going to have a left wing presidency. And you're seeing how that's playing out right now. Oh, and another area where that's certainly going on is at the border. Um, and this brings me back to. Uh, Steve Ducey, we talked about earlier in the show, Steve Ducey asking Saki Bomb uh, questions about where people can go to get their new green job. And the answer is, of course, they can't. They don't know and they don't care. Shut up, peasant. We're saving the planet. Your job doesn't matter. But Ducey to Saki on the border. Speaking of left wing stuff going on right now. Very interesting exchange. Play one.
8: And on immigration, there's some new reporting that ICE uh, is going to get some new guidance to no longer focus on deporting illegal immigrants who've been convicted of DUI, simple assault, solicitation, drug-based crimes, among other things. And I'm curious how that is in the interest of public safety. Well,
9: uh, first, it's uh, guidelines that would be uh, put out by the Department of Homeland Security and I'd certainly send you them. They have a confirmed secretary now, uh, but uh, the priority for the enforcement of immigration laws uh, will be on those who are posing a national security threat course, a public safety threat. And on recent arrivals, nobody is saying that DUIs or assault are acceptable behavior behavior, and those arrested for such activity should be tried and sentenced as appropriate by local law enforcement. But we're talking about the prioritization of who is going to be deported from the country.
1: Such dishonest garbage from the Biden people on this one. Prioritization is a fancy way of saying nullification of existing law. We're not going to send people back to their country who are here illegally, even if they have committed assault, DUI, drug based crimes. They get to stay. So now if you're an illegal and you run afoul of the law with additional criminality and not like a parking ticket, like actual criminal behavior, you're not going to get deported. They say it's a prioritization thing. What they really mean by that is that effectively you're good to go and you get to stay. Oh, and there's another place where we're finding out the the border has issues right now. Remember the, the, the Biden team invited this border crisis. I mean, I, I called for it. I actually did a. On the first TV, which you should all be uh, watching and checking out, by the way, it's a free app. The first TV my shows before Bill O'Reilly on the first TV, though, you can see I did a special on the immigration crisis. I did that around Christmas time because I knew what was going to happen. I knew what the border was going to turn into. And, And it was obvious for anybody who's been following this administration what's going on here. So, you know, you have this massive flood of people to the border. But here's what's amazing. They're talking about additional restrictions on airline travel where you have to prove for domestic airline travel where you have to prove you've had a covid test. Now, I thought that riding on a plane with masks on, you were very unlikely to get covid. So what's the big deal? Right. That's the thing. They, they tell us we have to take all these mitigation measures and then it somehow is never enough. and There's always more mitigation measures. You ever notice that? Masking is so effective that masking on a plane is not enough for it to be considered safe. You also have to do the temperature check beforehand. Well, how effective can it really be? Think for yourself and all of this stuff starts to just crumble and become absurd. Or Just think for yourself. Don't listen to the people shouting at you. Listen to the experts. Think for yourself and you will achieve so much more clarity on this because they've shown you their hand many times. They've shown you that what they're saying is not true. All you have to do is open your eyes and you see it with so many of these things. It really is a very, very frustrating, very frustrating situation. Um, But oh, and and then they're going to slow everything down for airline travel for people. Now, maybe that hasn't happened yet. That might happen with the covid testing. And just imagine what that's like. You arrive at the airport. It's always so stressful. Got to get there. Got to go through security. All this craziness. And now they're going to say, you know, COVID papers, sir. You say, what? You know, I'm going to show you my COVID papers. You know, and what does that even mean? If you get tested three days before you get on the plane, you're good. Does it have to be the day of? Because if it's three days before, guess what? You could be infected the day after you get the test. it's, It's all so absurd, isn't it? But, you know, they're allowing now because they've changed the asylum policies at our border. They are allowing illegal aliens who who come to America to be released in the American interior after claiming asylum at the border because that whole scam is up and running again. Do you think, I, w- I want to ask you this question, do you think, and, and hat tip to Tucker Carlson's show uh, for bringing this one to the public's attention and, and bringing out the research on it, that uh, they're checking them for COVID? They're checking illegal aliens for COVID when they get to the border, when they come here? Nope, they are not. So if you're an illegal breaking the law who's not supposed to be in America in the first place, you don't have to go through a COVID test. You're set set free in America. But they're talking about restricting your travel as an American citizen between states and saying you need to have a COVID test. This uh, This is the world that we're living in now, friends. It's unfortunate, but... Oh, and one more crazy thing that you have here. The mayor of... Tampa, you know, after the, the whole Tom Brady. Look, he's the great he's the greatest, uh, the greatest football player of all time, guys. I, I I don't even think this is really a hard thing to run. He's the greatest football player of all time. All right. So and I'm sorry for all the, the snowflakes out there who are melting because Tom Brady is considered a Trump supporter or something. He's still the greatest football player of all time. So. I mean, look, it's just, it's just at this point, what, what's the argument? I mean, he's got seven Super Bowl rings. He goes to a team. He, 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 the, whole, the whole thing is just, I, I think the experiment here, as I say, has been run, and we know what the results are. Uh, but the, the mayor of Tampa gave some really, uh, really chilling speech the day after the Super Bowl, where she said that they were going to have police track people down. They were going to have police find those who were partying without masks on, and now there's a photo that's emerged of her at the Super Bowl, guess what? Doesn't have a mask on. Sitting there in the stands doesn't have a mask on. Mask shaming is just what vain, petty, virtue-signaling morons do to each other, and it's a shame that this has become so mainstreamed in our culture. It's a shame that people really think, that they're better than other people because in one in in one instance in one moment they have a cloth covering over their mouth. When we all realize, right, the chance you, you listening to this right now, ninety nine percent of you listening to this right now who have to put on a mask in the next twenty four hours are entirely healthy and are just being annoyed and and going through inconvenience for no good reason. You are actually healthy. You are you have no virus to spread. Ninety nine percent, probably ninety nine point nine percent of you, but. That's not enough. That's not enough because maybe 1% of the people listening to this have COVID. Everybody has to be masked up all the time, except they're not masked up all the time, as we know. This is crazy.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at bucksexton.com.
6: What's the biggest way that transportation has been permanently changed by the pandemic? It's too soon to know for sure, but I think it's safe to say that our old patterns of life, uh, the nine to five Monday through Friday commuting patterns are not gonna be exactly the same. Yeah, and so how might that change? what? Your stuff does. Uh, You know, we think trains, planes, and automobiles, but uh, uh, what about bikes,
0: scooters, wheelchairs for that matter? Those are things you plan to pay more attention to? Absolutely, yeah. Look, roads aren't only for vehicles. we got to make sure that that pedestrians and individuals and bicyclists and businesses can all coexist on the same roadway.
1: No! (laughs) This is not good.
0: Not good.
1: And and let me say here, I have a bias. All right, I have a bias. And I know that was... uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, now Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, who is is talking about his role as tra- now does he have any experience really in transportation? No, but uh, does that matter to anybody in charge? No. All right, but look, he's a he's a smart guy. I'm re- this this is a reality based show. This is not reality TV. It's reality radio. This is a reality based show. And and so I recognize that Mayor Pete's smart. He's he's a capable guy. He's an intelligent fellow, and and he's I'm sure he'll be fine in a sense in the role of transportation secretary. I mean it's you know it's not something that keeps people up at night. But even that may become an opportunity for micromanaging, social engineering, and wokeness in different ways. So you got to keep an eye on it. Um, Here's, here's my bias, and I, and I share this with you in the spirit of all of you listening to this. I love all of you, and I respect all of you and, and your choices for recreation and transportation on your own. That's it. In New York City, I can only speak to New York City because that's the place I know the best. People on bicycles for getting to work purposes. Not I'm not talking about delivery people and people that are doing it for a living that way. People that choose to ride bicycles in the bike lanes. Which were all built here by Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, they are generally um, militant and kind of crazy. I, I'm just—it's just the truth, and I don't—I don't want anyone to get mad at me. I, I'm—if I, you live out in the burbs somewhere and you enjoy bike riding, that's fine. Bike riding for recreation, totally cool. I'm all about it. Mountain biking, that's great. I'm not—you know—I want to be very clear with what I'm saying. But if you spend time on the streets of New York City, I can just tell you that the people that are wearing a suit and going to their office in Midtown and riding a bicycle to do it are generally a little crazy and they are very left wing and they think they're saving the planet by riding their little bike. And if you get in the the other, there's this constant war underway between the cars and the bikes. Because the, the bike lane people think that no one's ever going to like open a car door and get out anywhere in a crowded city. And, and the bike lane people, all, so, so they'll, they'll constantly run into people who are trying to get out. And I know you'd say you, you have to look, but you're talking about a very dense environment where people are, you know, cars are flying around, all, not flying, but you know what I mean. They're moving around all over the place. They're double parked cars. Very hard to have clear view. And the bicyclists, they slip right between cars and they can hit your door really easily. And then they act like lunatics about it. Uh, So there's that. But even beyond that, they I have never had a a oh, my gosh, I almost got hit by that car experience in New York City. Really? I've had I almost got killed by bicyclists probably 20 times because they they will go. 25 or 30 miles an hour. The speed limit in New York City, I think, producer Mark, what is it, 20 miles an hour?
2: For cars or bikes? Cars. 25.
1: 25, okay. So the bicyclists will go 25 or 30 miles an hour, but the thing about bicyclists going the speed limit for cars is that they don't have brakes the same way that a car does, and they will run right into you. They have killed people this way, and they'll go down the one-way street the wrong way, They'll run through red lights and not think about it. I'm just going to tell you, urban bicyclists are the modern day concrete terrorists, and it's it's just reality. And I know, you know, I I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what it is. There's like a culture among. Like I'm not talking about delivery people, really. It's not delivery people. It's bicyclist commuters, and it's not really the people on the weekends who are having fun. You know, just want to go t- tour the city. Even it is. I'm taking a bike to get to my office. Not not a, by the way, I'm not talking motorcycles. To be very clear, all right. I don't need you know, Team Buck, Hell's Angels or whatever, whoever you know whatever bikers listen to the show. you know, that's all good. we're not we're not talking about your thing if you're on a you know motorized uh, bike because you don't see people on a motorcycle running a red light, going the wrong way at like top speed and thinking that that's totally normal and legit. Bicyclists. They'll go on the sidewalk. They'll go the wrong way up the street. Uh, okay, I've just whew. and you know they they prevented the other things. They prevented those nerdy electric scooters from really being the, the shareable electric scooters from being uh, deployed in New York City. I think that's a shame. Those electric scooters were were a lot of fun. Producer Mark, you know what I'm talking about those scooters. Yeah, they're I've seen very them all, over right? all over San Francisco, right? All over San Fran and L.A. But it's interesting. People actually turned against them in places like Santa Monica. You'd find them vandalized and because they would find them all over the street and people didn't like the aesthetic of them. But they were, you know, green in the sense that they were all electric. And anyway, so Buttigieg wants to expand, uh, you know, bicycles and walking on the street. Let's hope that doesn't happen.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show Podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. It's time for Roll Call.
1: Team Buck party don't stop. It's the party. Team Buck and it doesn't stop. Right, Producer Mark? That's how we do. Funky. Right. Funky beats. Yeah, we like to uh, party so, here. We like to party. It's not just politics. We like to party on the Buck Saxon show. That's also why everyone should go to bucksaxton.com and sign up for our email newsletter. The more emails we get, we got to get to a certain number, then we got to we start producing an email newsletter to send out to you. It's going to be great stuff. You're going to love it. Uh, all of a sudden, Governor Cuomo is calling for you to do a newsletter. The newsletter. All you do is give me your email. Your email will be used... You get it. You get the idea. So, um, yeah. it's uh, We're almost through February producer Mark. which I don't know if you know this. February is the worst month. Why is that? Were, were you aware of that? February no, is No, I wasn't aware. Why? Um, because it's cold and you're in the middle of winter and it's um, not good.
2: For A lot of people, they get spring break during uh, February. Do they? I thought it was in March. I think public schools do the uh, President's Week. Maybe March is for college. Oh,
1: yes, yes, yes. That's correct. That's correct. Okay, so maybe that's good because having a week off in February would really help because we've been through... In February, you've been through January, and I know Florida people, you're like, Buck, it's 80 degrees here, and I'm having a great time working on my 10. But, you know, for like most of the rest of the country, we've been freezing our butts off. We've been through enough of this. We got the COVID thing on top of all this other stuff. So February's a rough one, but we're going we're to get through February... Real quick. You know, we're gonna be done with February real soon. So that's the good news. We'll
2: blink and it'll be Memorial Day already.
1: I know. It'll be warm outside. All of a sudden, people will be mask shaming me as I walk around in the open air without a mask on. It's gonna be brilliant. All right, let's um I think is there what what sports are still going on now? Let's check into the, the penalty box here for a second. What do you got?
2: We've got hockey and basketball until uh, April when baseball starts.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Huh? All right. Are the uh, are the New York Knicks any good?
2: Uh, they're improved. I think they might even be a playoff team this year. Oh, okay. But yeah. in the NBA, it's really only three or four teams that have a chance to win a championship, and the rest are just kind of playing.
1: Was that Los Angeles, Golden State, right? And anyone else?
2: Well, no. Uh, the Lake. Well, well, I don't know about the Golden State this year. The Lakers, the Nets are actually very good. They're one of the best teams in the league. Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah. I was unaware of that. Okay. All right, well, let's get to roll call here, and let's kick it off with Brian, who's first up. Shields high, Buck. Excellent show. Glad I found your show when I lived in Colorado. I moved to Texas in August of last year, and I'm trying to reach out to local and state reps and engage in a conversation with friends appropriately to open eyes. Seems to fall on deaf ears at times, but I'll be able to have a clear conscience if things get crazy. I pray for intelligence and reason to win the day, but I'll be able to stand before God and say that I try in all peaceful and legal means. The COVID fight is the great fight, and we are not winning yet. Keep up the excellent Wuhan virus coverage. My New Year's resolution was to be mask-free. I will not cause a scene if asked to wear one, but I roll in without one if I can. I'm trying to do what I can for freedom. My immigrant father taught me to love this land and its values, and I do. Love your... Halloween Dracula special was that the last historical podcast, Uh, Brian? That was the last uh, Shields High history podcast. There are more in production. We have one already recorded, and uh, quite honestly, we're just uh, we're we're lining it up so that it actually will be a business for us. We're getting sponsors for those podcasts, Um, and so that's what's uh, the delay right now. But uh, there will be more. Uh, The Siege of Malta is up next, and then we'll have the Battle of Lepanto. And uh, then maybe the siege of Vienna, and uh, then we're I'm probably gonna do the crossing Hannibal crossing the Alps in the Second Punic War. I got a whole slate, a whole bunch of things that are in the mix. So uh, thank you, Brian, and uh, appreciate you writing in and sharing your thoughts. It was uh, it was great to have you. And and you're in uh, yeah you're in Texas now from Colorado. I, I hope you enjoy that move, and uh, it feels like feels like home, Russ. Buck, I, like you, was horrified by the events that occurred on January 6th at Congress, not because I thought these people posed any real threat, but because of what the left would twist this into. Unfortunately, as of 2 2021 we were both right, and the left is clamping down like a vice. One of the tenets of conservatism is that political feuds are settled at the ballot box, not on the streets. We defeat our enemies on the field of ideas, not on the playground. So when that breaks down, the left has an open season on conservatives, and quite frankly, there is little defense. It does not matter how hypocritical this reasoning is. It does not matter that the left does everything to encourage violence against anything or everything, not openly, of course. Well, sometimes. We know how these things manifest. You've talked about the events many times on your show. None of that matters as long as 90 percent of the media operate as the Democrat socialist totalitarian propaganda machine. I do believe there is hope because of the already evident overreach of the illegitimate Biden regime, one can hope. Well, Russ, I think you said a lot there. So I I have my concerns, too, about the trajectory of this country. Um, I think that, you know, you know that unlike there's some shows where everything is, oh, the economy is going to crash tomorrow. Oh, you know, the jihadists are going to win tomorrow. Oh, we're, you know, there's everything is just rolling for one imminent End it all crisis to another. I, I don't do that here, but I, I do believe and, and would defend this proposition vigorously, uh, if challenged, that that freedom in America is under greater threat right now than at any time in my 39 years of life. Freedom in America right now is in its most precarious position in my lifetime. I really believe that. And it's not just it's not a, oh, Biden won and I'm panicking, a uh, panicking thing. It's that all the different forces in our society coming together to suppress speech and ideas and think that they're virtuous for doing so. They really believe that what they're doing is responsible and good and helpful and don't see it as a huge uh, gateway to totalitarianism, which is, of course, is what it is. But they've 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 abandoned this concept. They no longer think of free speech and free ideas as necessary for the functioning of our society, the way that it should go. So that I view that as very, very, very troubling. Um, And by the way, I want you all to write in and, you know, for, for roll call and tell me just, you know, things that you if there are certain guests you really love hearing from on this show that you've heard from before. Uh, people I, I do like when people give me recommendations. But, you know, if you tell me, Buck, have Joe Rogan on your show, it's like, yeah, he's pretty busy. Uh, it's not easy to get certain people to, to to be a guest on another show. So just keep that in mind. If you're like, Buck, get Trump back. Sure, I will at some point. But, you know, that's that's not as easy as just picking up the phone and dialing. But any of our regulars you like to hear from um, and and also just any if there's a particular segment where you feel like I really nail it or, you know, I want I'm doing Facebook Lives now more often, and uh, that'll just be a conversation with all of you, too. So if you're not already following me on Facebook, please do go to facebookcom slash Buck Sexton. You'll see I'm I'm going to be doing these lives where I just hear from you, talk to you. And because I want to I want to know where all of you are right now with what's happening in the country, what you're feeling about our politics. And I want to know it directly and, and be able to reach out to you and and have a. You know, this, this is a presentation, right? Radio, it's a conversation, but it's, it's in a presentation format because I, I'm having to do the, the, the speaking right now. But when I can, in real time, interact with you via Facebook, uh, that's a really fun way to have an exchange of ideas and, and to get a better, an even better sense of where you are, all of you listening to this, who, who want to join in on that. So facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Please give me a follow there. If you're listening to this, you haven't already followed me on Facebook. Uh, Because we are going to be doing more there. And those who are saying, Buck, but what about I'm waiting for Parler to come back. I know Facebook tyrant censor stuff. My my approach to this is I use the tools that I have to reach you and spread the word while I have them. That's that's the it's my all of the above approach. You know, I'm I'm going for it on on uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Parler, on Instagram. I'm, I'm on TikTok even. I know that Chinese are looking at all my data and stuff, but I'm using it. I'm using the platforms that exist. And remember, they shut down Parler and they've even come after Rumble, I believe, a little bit. Um, I, I, I have to operate within the framework of the technology that exists and the platforms that exist right now. I am hoping to be a part in the future, and I'm already talking to people about this, about creating a. A platform that I will be able to control. Um, but that's a ways off. So for right now, I'm I'm taking that all the above approach, and that includes Facebook, until they kick me off, which could happen at any time. Um, but I'm gonna be doing lives there to reach out to all of you because I want us to have that higher level of connectivity. That I want it to be a conversation. I mean, I got people listening to the show from all over the country. You know, I mean there's we're talking we reach millions of people i mean i usually say hundreds of thousands to be you know kind of keep the number a little lower to be modest but we reach millions of people in america with this show so i think that that's you know on, on a month a month basis that's what the real reach is and and i think that uh, everyone should just have their opportunity if they want to try to to talk to me directly and tell me what they're thinking and And this is this is the the way that we. Well, I was going to borrow from Mandalorian. This is the way. So there you go. This is the way
0: you're listening to the Buck Sexton show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: More roll call. We got Jason up. He writes, hey, Buck and Mark, I'm catching up on some episodes from last week and heard you talking about the Vegas rent a machine gun. Come to Georgia where you can drive a tank that will beat the machine gun. Well, Jason, I will have you know that in my time at the CIA, I actually received some tank driving training, believe it or not. Just a familiarization, not real, not real. Because there's like real tank drivers and gunners listening to this. I didn't, it was like a fam, familiarization, F-A-M fam thing. I just got to drive an old, I think it was a uh, a T-52 maybe, an old Soviet, it's like driving a lawnmower, man. It was not complicated. There's like a, a thing you push forward to go forward, a thing you push to the side to go to the side, like a lever. It's not even a wheel. Uh, I think it was a Russian T52 or T55 tank. Uh, I can't I can't even remember now. Um, so I got to figure. Producer Mark, you ever driven a? T- oh, is it wait? Was it a T? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Producer Mark, have you ever driven a tank before?
2: I can't say I've been in the position to drive a tank. No.
1: Have you ever fired a machine gun before? No. Okay. Well, we gotta get the we gotta get you to fire a machine gun for some at some point. That's kind of fun.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a fun
1: activity. It is actually. very loud and goes bang, bang, bang. So, I'd, I'd
2: wear some earplugs.
1: Yeah, yeah, you definitely want to wear earplugs, especially I mean, in my
2: you, profession. My hearing is kind of important. Yeah,
1: yeah, me too. If you get up on the two forty golf and you want to, you know, want to let that puppy let, let that puppy rip, uh, you, you gotta uh, you gotta definitely make sure you got your ears your ears covered. So, um, yep. All right, important stuff. But, yeah, Jason, Georgia sounds like fun, man. Georgia sounds like a good time. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the state of Georgia. We got to flip it red, though, ladies and gents. I'm a big believer in this. You know, Republicans have got to start being strategic about where they live. You know, and, and I'm, I, I know you're going to say, Buck, you live in New York. That's not going to last. I'm, I'm going to move to a red state. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in the next year or two. So, you know, that's that's coming down the, that's coming down the pike. Um, And I got to figure out where it is. I mean, there's a part of me. It's like we got to absolutely get Georgia back in the red. We got to get North Carolina solid red. It's really a a toss up state right now. Um, We got to run up the scoreboard a little bit more in Florida so that it becomes a red stronghold and not just a likely uh, red. We got to we got to get Pennsylvania. You know, we lost Pennsylvania in this last one. We need folks to. The problem with Pennsylvania is you probably pretty smart, What's the tax rate like? there? I don't even know. It's probably pretty high.
2: I'm uh, not sure off the top of my head. I'm looking.
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, it's not it's not a zero tax state. I know that. So, you know, um, it's not like Tennessee or some of these other places like the promised land. Texas. I know. I know. I haven't been given as much love to the great state of Texas lately as I usually do and have throughout my career. But I'm just it's its I mean, I love Texans. It's like if I ever had to just pick a place where I had to go and know that it's all going to be OK, I'd, I'd move to Texas. But I'm angry at Governor Abbott with the whole COVID thing because I, he should have followed DeSantis's, uh He should have followed the DeSantis model and he didn't. So that's all that is. So I'm, I'm just a little bitter at the governor of Texas for not going full DeSantis. That's what that is. But I know Texas is still freedom's homeland and. It's got that it's got that going for it, which is nice. Uh,
2: Pennsylvania, by the way, three uh, percent income tax in a fairly low tax state state.
1: Oh, that's not bad. that's not bad. I think North Carolina' is like six percent, which is actually pretty high. and New York is you know with New York City added, it's double digits. 15 10 or, yeah you know, 10, 11, 12 yeah, it's, it's definitely double digits, so it's crazy. Uh, but that's no, it's not bad, Pennsylvania. Uh, we, 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 look, we got a great station. In, uh, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we, we got Team Buck, Pennsylvania is strong. So, but where do you, you know, if you move to Pennsylvania, where do you move? That's really the question. If you're going to leave a big city like New York, you go to Pennsylvania. I'm not going to Philly. Surrounded by libs. Can't do that. Right? So I got to find a place probably out west in Pennsylvania. It's a
2: much bigger state than you think. I actually drove through there to West Virginia once for a job interview. It took, takes hours to get through Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania's
1: so, huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. You don't realize it until you're physically driving through it.
1: It's very east to west big. You know, that's the thing. You can drive through Pennsylvania to get to D.C. For, from New York or Boston, for example. And you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're in Pennsylvania for a little bit. It, you know, very east. To, it's kind of like New York State. You know, New York State can be Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. You're going back and forth, you know, all in one day. And then you decide you want to go like uh, the Snow Princess is from Buffalo, Buffalo is like it's like your, your next stop, Alaska. I mean, Buffalo is way out there,
2: way out there. upstate New York might as well be a different state. No offense to them, but compared to, you yeah, know, we love the them. City. And we
1: have our we have our uh, we have our um, WGY uh, listener in listeners up in Albany. And but that's but see, I don't even know if Albany counts as upstate. I mean, the re, the other upstaters say Albany is downstate, I think. I mean, so compared it, it to some depends.
2: of the when you go up much farther up, it's it's basically downstate.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Once you get up near like uh, the St. Lawrence River area, basically, they think of it all as, as very much downstate. So anyway, um, that's where let's get back into the roll call here. Chad, hey, Buck, avid listener here in Colorado. Appreciate the excellent commentary you provide as I drive uh, as to pick up my daughter's from daycare. I love your perspective on the state our country's in, which unfortunately is very sad at the moment. I hear you as well as other conservative voices discussing how hypocritical, dishonest, untrustworthy, and flawed the left is, and completely agree. I'm writing to you for your perspective on what we can do to drive action and see accountability. Myself and many Americans are completely fed up with the constant lies. Any tips or guidance you can provide us for struggling with the country or with the state the country is in? Chad, keep supporting people whose voices reach a large audience and and share your values. Support businesses. You know, support My Pillow and Black Rifle and... And the sponsors on this show, you know, support those businesses, please, because that really matters now, too. And just uh, remember that your honor, your integrity, your decency are always yours and no one can take them from you. Team, that's it for today. Shields high.